subtle skills, big results. Welcome to the Ninja Selling Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Ninja Selling Podcast. I'm Matt. He's Garrett. And we're excited to have some fun with you today because this isn't a typical, here's a tool that you can stick into your tool belt and take into your business. This is more of a fun conversation around a very, very common product that we use every day in real estate and just kind of like, let's explore it a little bit and understand the pros and cons. So, but before we dive into that, if you are new to the Ninja Selling Podcast, welcome. We appreciate you being here. And if you want to learn more about Ninja Selling, if that's something that's new to you, head over to ninjaselling.com. You can learn about it. The installations, which is the four-day training that installs Ninja into you and your business. You can learn about one-on-one coaching, which Garrett and I spend our most time in. Garrett had founded the coaching program and has brought on 30 amazing coaches who help agents across the country every day build an incredible life and business. You can also learn about Mastery, which is the follow-on course that you can take after an installation. You can also learn about the book. You can grab a copy of the Ninja Selling book. You could buy that actually wherever books are sold and learn the core of this system. And if you want to join an amazing community, I know this is a long intro, head over to Facebook and search for The Ninja Selling Podcast and join about 13,000 people who are on the Ninja Path or looking to be on the Ninja Path and collaborating together. It's a wonderful place to be. Garrett, good morning to you. Thank you for listening to my longer intro today. It was really well done, Matt. And I appreciate you giving it your energy that you gave it. You did spot on. Oh, thank you. So thank you. Well, we have a fun conversation today. I am curious about this topic today. And this topic that we're going to throw on the table today, as Matt said, this is not like a tool or something you're going to take. This is more of a thing that's been on Matt and my brain. It's come up in conversation here and there. We don't really have an answer on it, nor are... I don't know, Matt, you're you're a fairly smart dude. I am not educated in the areas to say, this is what's going on. This is what's happening. This is what we got to be concerned about. We're not there. I'm, I can't help with this. No. <laughs> but this conversation that we had did open up this like, well, that's fascinating. I never looked at it that way. Never thought about it that way. And what if? Yeah. And that's where we wanted to throw this out to all of you. And I'm hoping it actually creates some interesting conversation in the podcast community. So when you do listen to this, when you get a chance to take what we're going to say in here... I would really be curious to see what your input is on this and what your thoughts are. I want to put this out there here, though. This is not meant to have any of you come on and say, so-and-so is wrong, so-and-so, this is the way it is, or like this is not a place that we want to open up an argument or a fight or things like that. What I really want is like, what do you see and what this kind of looks like and what this might be? Because... what we're going to talk about today is the 30-year loan. Yeah, the 30-year mortgage. 30-year mortgage for housing industry. And it's interesting as like the longer I've been involved with real estate and all the people I get to meet all over the world, and we talk about different loans that are available and how the you know lending is done. And uh, there's some people from outside of the United States that will flat out tell you that we're absolutely nuts for a 30-year loan. Which we are the only country in the world that offers a full-on 30-year mortgage. So Fixed rate mortgage. And loan. Mortgage just means loan against your house. So those terms are interchangeable. <laughs> yeah. So we're the only ones that, from what I know, we're the only ones that have that out there. And it's very funny to see the response from people, which has then got us talking, Matt. And this is where I want to have you chip into here is, is that 
Then we started talking about like, is having a locked in 30 year low rate that we're sitting at right now, could that cause a stall in some of the movement of people out there? Uh, we hear agents saying so and so they're not people aren't moving right now because they got this this very low interest rate. And what if for fun every five years that thing had to turn over and you had to get the new rate that's going in the marketplace or every seven years or every 10 years? Would that cause movement to happen? Would that cause people to have to make changes? I don't have the answer on this, but yeah. Matt and I have been pontificating this. And Matt, what are your thoughts on this? <laughs> yeah, I don't have the answers either. And by no means am I saying a 30-year mortgage is bad. You know, but it's interesting to look at not only when we did an episode on talking about and dispelling the myth that people who have low interest rates aren't moving, right? Because if people have life changes, they're going to move. But could a turnover of a loan encourage somebody maybe to make a move because they have this change that's coming up? So why not look at other properties anyway? I mean, in Canada, and our Canadian realtors and ninjas can correct me if I'm wrong, but most commonly, is a five-year loan with a 25 or 30-year amortization on it, depending on your down payment. Meaning, basically, your payment is based on a 25 or 30-year loan, but the loan only lasts five years. So in five years, there's a balloon payment that happens, which most commonly, I'm sure, is just a refinance that goes on, which means you are now subject to the new market rates. And that probably would stoke some people to think of a change. Now, yes, if if your loan's up for renewal and rates are changed, like you're going to still have to deal with that rate whether you buy or you stay in your house and the costs of buying and selling and all that kind of thing. One thing that I was thinking about, Garrett, about the 30-year loan was not necessarily to does it have people stay put, but you know, and, and maybe it's more of the amortization in a way, right? Because like, well, if you just move your 30-year loan to another house anyway, like you're not necessarily buying down that equity any fat. Like a 30-year loan, you're buying down your equity much slower than if you were on a 15-year schedule or even a 25-year schedule, right? Or a 20-year schedule. And how many people do you know that actually ride that whole thing out? Like we don't. Oh yeah, very few, right? I mean, some at some stages of life you do too. So most people are moving, what we say, every seven to 10 years, right? That's that's the standard data over the decades. So no one's really outliving their 30-year, and what I mean by outliving, I mean outliving in their home, that 30-year mortgage. They're going to go reset that. But the enticement of a 30-year mortgage too is you paid 10 years into a 30-year mortgage. Now I'm going to go reset that and start all over again instead of just continuing on. Now, you could still get shorter-term mortgages. It's not like you have to choose the 30-year, but 88% of people who get a loan do choose the 30-year option. And so it is wondering, like, does that also, because we've become this monthly payment-driven culture, is that part of the reason why there's housing price increases? Is it a contributing factor in inflation? And I'm, I'm sure, and a lot of people... the the Economists in the crowd will chime in and say, well, no, or well, yes. I'm just saying it's an interesting thing to think about. I, By the way, I have a 30-year loan on my house. I'm taking advantage of that for sure. So, <laughs> Well, I have, I have lots of 30-year loans. I've got a lot. So it's like you start looking at that and saying, okay, so now let's say that that were to have to re-up. Like right now, I've got, we'll use the one on my primary residence. 
I don't own my house. 30-year mortgage on the house that I'm sitting in right now. When I say I don't own it, I haven't paid this darn thing off. So with that being said, if I had to change to today's rate based on the rate that I've had here since I've, well, since I refinanced, but I'm holding on to this loan right now, if I had to re-up it right now, if I was in a position that they were like, hey, it's that time, balloon payment coming up, you got to get a new loan, get the rest of this refinanced at the current today's rates, it would totally change our conversation that we have about this property. Right now, my wife and I are like, we're never selling this house. This is a great home for us. And it's never say never, as we always joke, because all of a sudden it'll be on the market tomorrow. But we would definitely, at the point of making a transition here coming up, as my son is you know, in his sophomore year of high school, like there are transitions that are coming up in my future that make me make me say, I don't need this house anymore. Now, would we keep it as a rental? which is what our thought is that we want to do at some point, would it force us to be like, let's let this thing go. Let's let, let's throw it back into the marketplace and see if somebody else wants to call this their home and we'll let them take that on at the new rate. We're going to go do something else with this cash and move some stuff around. My investment properties across, you know, around the United States, those are things that I look at and go like, if I had to put new rates on them right now that fully changed what my numbers look like on that property, would I keep them and figure it out? Would I put a little bit more into the next loan so we can make the numbers work again? Or would we let the thing go and move it along? I could potentially make the numbers work, but at the same time, it now opens up the conversation on a routine basis of or every you know 10 years, five years of what are we going to do instead of just letting it sit there and just marinate, which is what they do right now. Yeah. Looking at the history a little bit, in the past 50 to 70 years has seen an acceleration in a lot of things. So I'm by no means saying that these things are correlated. But the 30-year loan was an authorization of Congress, right? This was a creation of the federal government basically saying, hey, you you can write 30-year loans. This was done in, when was it start? 1948, I want to say. I have it up somewhere in here. Yeah, 1948 for new construction, 1954 for existing homes, meaning resales, right? The challenge was, is the banks were like, we can't make the numbers work. We can't lend for 30 years at that fixed rate because the rate that we basically have payout on our depositors is a variable rate. And so if those aren't in line, we could have some serious problems as a bank. So the government said, okay, great. Well, Fannie and Freddie will buy them. Right, we will protect the thirty-year mortgage, and all with the intention of making sure that home buyers have this security of, okay, I know that that's going to be my payment. I don't have to worry about that changing, so I can now go focus on other areas of my life. So, like all things, probably starts off with great intentions, and I'm not saying it's not still not great to have. We're not saying it's bad. Like that's why we're we're just right. We're questioning some things right now. It's all we're doing. But it's interesting when you look at that to say, okay, so the lending institutions, and I'm not saying that they're any better than anybody else, said, hey, the numbers don't work for us. Okay, we build some protection. And then since the 1950s, we've seen an acceleration in a lot of things, one of those being home prices rising. Now, this was also a period of time where interest rates were going up as well. And so to help create affordability, well, if we extend a loan term, that's going to help things out a little bit. And this is where that 40-year mortgage that recently came in. Now, you can't get a 40-year mortgage, but I got to go back and, and do the research on this. There are certain provisions put in for certain loans to extend it out on a 40-year amortization. 
which you start looking at that, it's like, okay, we're we're changing, we're basically extending debt, mm-hmm. right? That's where the 30-year mortgage is doing. It's like we're extending people's liability of debt for a longer period of time, which I think also has its things. I mean, that's one of the reasons why Dave Ramsey not happy with debt at all, right? Is because you are now tied to that for a long period of time. And is that causing challenges? It's just a good, it's an interesting question. Here's the crazy thing with extending the debt out. Like all of a sudden it's like, okay, it makes it more affordable for people to be able to be a homeowner. But what it also allows people to do is allows allows the tides to raise, as you were just saying. So all of a sudden home prices go up until we find that threshold again, where people are like, well, that's about as high as I want to go. Like, okay, like it just kind of moves everything up. So I think your your point being said of like, is it responsible for some of the home price increases out here that we have seen and whatnot? 100% yes, because imagine if you could only spread that thing over 10 years and that was your option. You know, look at the auto industry. If all they gave was three-year loans on cars, well, that's going to drastically change what people can buy and can afford for a car compared to when they go like, well, we can do 60 months. We can do 72 months. We can bump this thing out even farther. Like, All of a sudden, it allows people to spread that debt over a longer period of time. Car manufacturers, then what they do is they raise the car pay, the, the price of the cars up because the average American can afford more in the actual payment. And here we are finding an equilibrium again. It gets a really interesting scenario that starts to play out of like what kind of is going on and what's causing all this to happen. Yeah. Well, it, it doesn't. You think about if people move every five, seven, ten years anyway, right? The longer you extend out a loan, the more interest that is paid up front as part of it. So those early years have very, very little equity pay down. And so it almost starts to say, like, well, I mean, obviously people say, oh, you shouldn't rent. It's a waste of money. You're paying 100% interest when you're renting, which I think is a mathematical probably not exact type of thing, but (laughs) let's just say you're not putting any money towards your own equity in that home. That's probably a better description of what rent is. (laughs) But if you are paying so much interest in the early years and maybe not getting as much equity, now there still is a good chunk depending on how much money you put down and all these different things and whatnot. Like, is that worth it? Right. And these are questions that people sometimes go through and why there are a lot of renters. Right. And so the longer you extend these things out, and I should clarify on that 40 year thing from what what I believe it was, as my memory caught up to me on that, is had to do with FHA loans only for people who were in default and giving them an option to basically adjust loan terms so that they could make payments and not be in default, which again is the thought of extending debt out longer. And is that going to then impact the way home prices work? And it could, right? It could also impact the way... Well, here's the other side of it, positive side. Lower home payment, higher consumer spending, right? If my loan payment on my home is lower, well, great. I can go out and spend more money on other things and boost the economy in other ways, right? Does that accelerate other things? (laughs) It's just a big fun... This is where I wish I spent more time in my economics class. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's funny. I loved economics. I really enjoyed it. I just didn't go to class enough to actually, I think, get what we need to be working with here today. 
But I think like there's so many moving parts around this. And this is where, again, Matt and I don't have the answers around this. No. But I, I, I do know like in my world, if that 30-year loan didn't exist, it would, again, change a lot of things up of how I, I look at a lot of my investments and I look at my own personal home and how often I turn it over. At the same point, is is it, you know, if you've been sitting on a 7% loan and all of a sudden the interest rates drop to three, I mean, hey, win for you. I could see a lot of people, though, that like you know, could put them in a really bad position. You know, having that loan turnover at that moment in time. Let's say it does, you are at three and you do get a 7% loan that all of a sudden shows up and you've got your job in town and you've got your family here and you're settled. And then all of a sudden, you can't afford to live in this town anymore. Like, you know, that's a real scenario that could come up with having shorter term loans or these, you know, not having a 30 year fix is it could create some stability also for some of these areas that makes you all of a sudden go, we can't live here. We got to pick up our family and move down south to a lower priced area or wherever it might be to make things work. And all of a sudden we're having to say goodbye to our job and we're having to say goodbye to our families and, you know, extended families and whatnot. Like there's a lot of things here to play out. And there's also a lot of other components when it comes to mortgages that do have an impact on I think the financial system overall. You know, for example, the I mean, no repayment penalty and all these things, which is by the way is a good thing in my opinion. You should be able to repay your loans at any time. Yeah. You know, but then you get into these on the open market when bonds are trading, it doesn't necessarily work that way. There's mark to markets that's happened and all these other things that don't happen with mortgages. Oh, you weren't you weren't gonna go there with bonds. You remember we talked to you like and the borrow. You said I know a lot of I'm not gonna go there. And here you are jumping into it, Matt. Well, I'm just saying there are things that happen on other loans that don't happen on mortgages, right? Yeah. You also can refinance no problem. There's no like open market kind of that's because most of the time these loans are sold to the government anyway. That said, I will say this. This isn't a conversation for you to take to your clients and be like, ooh, we should really consider what product we're buying here. No. Nope. It's gonna help your, your clients buy and sell homes. The 30-year mortgage is out there for you to use and make it work. It, it is a very interesting and I would say from a payment perspective, wonderful product for us. But here's the other thing. Even if there are challenges to it, because of the way it interweaves everything, it's not like you can just change something and be like, well, you should just buy homes on a 15-year mortgage. Like, well, have you seen the prices of homes right now <laughs> compared to what they were 50 years ago? Yeah. <laughs> That's going to be a challenge. At the end of the day, like, I'm grateful for the 30-year loan. Same. I use it in a lot of aspects of my investing world and my own personal life, and it allows me to be kind of where we're at and do what we're doing. So uh, again, I I don't have any wanting for it to change or do anything different, and we're not saying it's going to. I think it was just a uh, as Matt and I were kicking around ideas and throwing things on the table. It was one of those like I wonder, and then we're like, what if we did this on the podcast? So this is where I want to go back to. If you have some thoughts about this, I know people are going to have thoughts about this out here. Yeah, definitely will. And if you think that we're looking at it, yeah, share, share it in the comments. Like, yeah, we're going to post this episode. Actually, what I would also love to see there's this podcast is listened to globally. I don't know how mortgages work in Europe and other countries. Uh, good question, Matt. Know a little bit about how things work in Canada. I would love to hear about 
how it works in your country. Uh, I'd love to hear your opinions on that. What are, what are people using? And not opinion of what's right or what wrong, just like, hey, here's how this thing plays in our world. Because I think, I think it's a very just interesting thing to understand. You know, I think since we are unique in the US, we have this product. I'm curious what that means in France, Italy, Poland, you know, wherever you're listening to this. New Zealand, that's a whole different market. But we've got listeners in New Zealand. I'm very curious to see what, what that looks like. Yeah. Down there, down down under. No, that's, eh, well, we'll roll with it. Yeah, New Zealand's, yeah, basically Australia, right? They're close, I think, <laughs> on the map. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so, Matt, again, I think... Fun, short topic. I'm more so curious than what you have to offer. More so curious what what our listeners actually uh, have to kind of say and what they have to share. I'd love that you open this up to other countries of kind of what products they have out there. Because I think the more we know, the more we can share, the more educated we can be about this. It does open up interesting conversations with your clients and your people and things you can share on social media that you might learn through the podcast here that you can share with your people about you know, how loans are done in other countries. There's lots of great information to learn around this. And I'll say this, this and, and I know we preface at the beginning, this is not you know, something that's necessarily a, a ninja skill or anything that's going to make you a better realtor to help your people buy and sell. That said, having a better understanding of this stuff, which clearly Garrett and I need to have a better understanding of some of this stuff. I'm crystal, I have crystal clear. Crystal clear. <laughs> is part of our own wealth journey as well, right? One of the things that we hope to also inspire among this community, and over time, we'll get into more and more things on this stuff, is, is how, how we also create wealth, right, from this business. And I think understanding how these things work help us have a better picture of our wealth trend and our wealth trajectory. Doesn't mean that anything would be different if this product didn't exist necessarily. But the more we understand, I just think, the better we can play in that in that game for ourselves. So that's why I think it's a fun thing to kind of throw around just for a little bit. So I hope everybody enjoyed us kind of chatting about it. <laughs> it's good to know all the tools that are at your fingertips and how they work. Because I know a lot of people that have an amazing workbench in their garage and they've got all kinds of great tools that they bought to build out this incredible workbench, but they don't know how to use any of them. Like these are the tools and wealth building that sit in front of you. And it's good to sit back and Take some time to learn and figure it out. Because if you know how to use this stuff, you can create some incredible wealth. So Matt, I'm happy you went there. Wrapping this up, if anybody wants to learn more about ninja selling, even though we didn't talk a whole lot about ninja selling today, but where we come from and our background, go to ninjaselling.com. If you want to learn more about the coaching program, which is what we invest most, if all of our time into, uh, you can check that out on the ninja selling website also. And uh, we have mastery classes, all kinds of stuff. If you want to learn more about people that listen to the podcast and also where you can go and have the best conversation about this episode when you listen to it, go into the Ninja Selling Podcast community or it's the group on Facebook and just search the Ninja Selling Podcast. You will find us all there. We will let you in and then you can open and put all of your thoughts into this podcast that we recorded today and this episode that we recorded today. So Matt, thank you, everybody out there. Thank you so much for your time and your energy. It's so great to talk to you out there and and hear the feedback of uh, what you guys get to take away from our time that we share. So thank you for that and have an amazing day. Take care, everybody. Thanks so much. 
If you enjoyed today's episode and would like more, visit us at the ninjasellingpodcast.com. There you will also find links for more information about ninja selling and coaching. Have an incredible day.